This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by The Alcohol Experiment, a free 30-day challenge designed to interrupt your patterns, give you control, restore your health, and put you back in touch with the version of you who doesn't need alcohol to cope, relax, or enjoy life. More than 220,000 people have already tried The Alcohol Experiment for themselves and have seen improved sleep, increased happiness, reduced anxiety, and so much more. Join thousands in this inspiring, hopeful, and exciting program where you examine your beliefs and reconnect with the best version of you without ever feeling like you're missing out. Start today for free at alcoholexperiment.com. Hey everybody, it's Scott Pinyard, head coach of This Naked Mind, and I am back with another edition of Coaching Questions. Today I have a guest, one of our amazing coaches, Pamela Price. How's it going, Pamela? I'm great, Scott. How are you? I'm really good. So, uh, you know, before we do these episodes, I I ask people, you know, what do you specialize in? And you gave me such an amazing answer. This is what you said. You said, I specialize in working with yogis, yoga instructors, and yoga studio owners. Tell me a little bit about that. What sort of connections do you see? Like, how does that, how does that work? Oh, well, I think, you know, as somebody who went through the journey of um, changing my relationship with alcohol, um, as a yoga instructor, (laughs) when I was doing it, I realized, and, um, as part of the journey, it became really apparent to me how it really wasn't in the line with, um, a yogic lifestyle, a number one, um, and so many ways that I think that yoga studios, many yoga studios, not all yoga studios, but many yoga studios will try to market um, events, um, you know, including alcohol in it. So um, I recognize that um, in my own journey, you know, I think that that I knew decades ago that it was, um, you know, not something that I wanted to bring in my life. And all, in all honesty, Scott, I joined teacher training in hopes that it would help change my relationship with alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, and it did temporarily (laughs) and then eventually, and then I even considered that a deeper dive like going into a master's training program and a 500 hour program would then push me again back into like, give me that reminder, like, remember how sweet that was when you gave it up that last time. Um, and it did temporarily. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Um, and so because I've just been a part of that journey and I, I know what it's like, I know what it feels like to have that disconnect of that and and some shame and blame. Like I'm a yoga instructor. I'm standing up here and teaching a class and I'm kind of hungover. And that just doesn't feel right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I love that you stepped into this space because we talk about this all the time with uh, our groups and with people who come to us is this idea that like right now the alcohol conversation is very much an addiction conversation. Mm-hmm. We don't think that, I mean, we think that's important, but you know, one of the things we've been discussing is that might not be the only place it should happen. Like we think it's part of a larger wellness conversation, which is absolutely what yoga is all about. Mm -hmm. It's very true. 
So yes. as you work with people, um, who do you work with specifically? Like, do you have a target that you spend time more time with than another, or how does it how does it work? Um, you mean my individual clients or both? Okay, so yeah. um, I, I started when once I became a coach for you guys, I was able to um, well, I started with offering groups. So um, following the format of the alcohol experiment. Mm -hmm. um, would go into the studios and create a group around dry January was how that began. And so um, I integrated Annie's book, The 30 Day Alcohol Experiment, with some very simple approaches or yogic philosophies. Um, and so it wasn't like we weren't just reviewing the book. Um, but I was integrating the yoga, the yoga practice, the practice of yoga. So mm -hmm. movement practice, as well as breath practice and meditation practice, as well as overarching concepts of things like steadiness and ease, um, you know, leading with a, a focused mind, calm heart kind of space. Um, and so that's where the conversation began. And then over time, I've realized that as I've um, established more of one-on-one -on -one client, um, relationships that those tools, oh, I mean, that, that'd be helpful to anybody. Um, yes. It doesn't mean, you know, you, you have to be limber to do yoga. Um, but we're talking about, again, yoga is, is broad. It's not just, I mean, people usually think, you know, yoga poses and that's just one part of it. Yeah. Um, but so that overarching theme, and that's one of the other things that has kind of happened that's really broadened the conversation for me, which feels really potent, is this idea, um, you know, we, we look at the, the concepts of being, having a yoga lifestyle, we're not just talking about exercise in general, we're talking about energy. Mm -hmm. um, and so when we talk about energy of the human being and, you know, those types of things or themes or philosophies like the chakra systems or the, the sheaths of your body, like a physical layer, mental layer, emotional layer, spiritual layers, layers. So all of that kind of gets intertwined and gets pretty, can get pretty deep. Um, yeah. And it aligns itself with, you know, how within this naked mind and its methodology, we talk about, you know, how we're thinking about alcohol emotionally and intellectually. I know. So how we're processing the stories that we're making up around alcohol um, and, you know, being able to work with those on a physical, mental, emotional, spiritual level. And so I love that about it. Um, and that's been really wonderful for me to kind of bridge that and make the, the conversation more yogic, I guess, lack of a better term. <laughs> I love that. I mean, one of the things, being able to combine the ideas of sort of the the thinking and belief work that that we do at this naked mind with movement and with a sense of spirituality, whatever that might mean to people, I, I think is is massively impactful. I know that a lot of people involved in our programs um, do yoga. Yoga comes up all the time, so I'm really excited. Uh, I'm really excited that you're doing this because I, I agree. It seems like there's a lot of um, overlap isn't the right word. There's a lot of synchronicity. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of synthesis between the two. Yeah, I would agree. I totally agree. And honestly, the, the, uh, the other piece that's exciting me right now is, is the idea of, of the energy levels. So um, mm -hmm. some of the, 
and, and it's science-based too, which is really cool. So like as human beings, we, we all vibrate. So everything is energy. So everything is vibrating. And I love the really simple concept, right? So if everything is energy, nothing is neutral. Mm -hmm. So whatever we're bringing into our bodies is either raising our vibration or it's lowering it. Yeah. And alcohol is definitely lowering our vibration. And there's this, there's this, the scientific fact is that we, I think it's, um, what is it? It's uh, 62 to 72 hertz is the sweet vibrational spot for the human huh. being. And I love that. It's like, sort of, you know that. So that there's different things um, around us that will either, you know, they vibrate at different levels too. And so you know how you can raise your vibration and where you're at. They actually right. have vibration measurers now. <laughs> really? Yeah. I did not know that. Um, this is so good. So I have three questions sure. plus a curveball. I okay. want to answer with you. Let's do it. Um, so I'm going to dive into question number one. Question number one is this, uh, working to become alcohol free has been an intense journey for me. I've done it in conjunction with other changes in my life, like updating my diet and exercise. I've started yoga recently. Do you have any suggestions as to a type of yoga? Now, Pam, I, it's like this person knew you were going to be on the podcast because <laughs> I got this question. I was like, uh, nope, but I know someone who does. <laughs> yeah. Um, this, it, it's a great question. Um, and it, I'll, I'll, I'll spin it around to how we started the conversation. So it all depends if you want to raise your vibration or lower your vibration, right? And so if you're using alcohol, as a way to kind of chill out, numb out, that type of thing, then I would definitely steer um, people towards more restorative practices, right? Mm -hmm. Moving slowly, breath work, meditation, those things that bring the journey inward from a really nourishing, natural point of view. Um, some people drink because they want the up, you know, they, they want the dopamine hit, it wakes them up, they get happy, that's whatever. Um, you know, I would say, take some, try a power yoga class. I don't really know, you know, how they physically fit they are, but make your way yeah. into a vinyasa class is basically where I, where I would say um, to go into. And that is one that's a little bit more vigorous where you're matching movement to breath. And the, the, the focus of the class is to, is to sweat. So not mm -hmm. to like kill yourself, but you learn a different breath work, one called Ujjayi breath. Um, which you're, you know, you're, you're building up heat internally from the body. And so um, there's a little bit more vigorous kind of sensations with it. So it just all depends really what you're looking for. So that's really, I want to dig into that just a little bit because sure. I know, so honestly, I know nothing about okay. yoga. I've tried it a few times. Uh, I've done some like videos online, but what I'm hearing you saying is that the answer to that question depends on what they're after. Sure. Right. So if they're looking, if they're, if they're using alcohol to calm down, something more restorative mm -hmm. would make sense. What does that look like? Like what is, and I'm sorry, I should no, have told you okay. ahead of time. Okay. I have so, no idea what I'm talking about. No, and that's okay. So, and I love that you asked that question. So if you went to a, um, a, a yoga studios website, even online, just, just check mm -hmm. out their classes, their classes are going to be kind of classified. There'll be like slow flow, gentle classes. Those are still be moving classes. 
Um, but then you'll see a class that might be classified as restorative class or a yin class. And those are going to be those classes that are using poses to literally tap directly into your parasympathetic. So right mm -hmm. into rest and digest. Gotcha. Right off the okay. bat. Um, so <clears throat> it's not that the vinyasa is invigorating fight or flight, but it, it's yeah. more, it's a different sense <laughs> you get rest and digest at the end. Yeah. Um, but so restorative poses. So the restorative pose is something as uh, usually reclined um, and you're supported. So your gotcha. whole body is supported um, by usually bolsters or blankets or blocks. So it's almost as though you're weightless. Um, and I so see. that really allows the body to tune into like there's no force against you and mm -hmm. there's a really nice sense of peace about that yin is a little bit different um you're not using any support but you're holding poses you're staying in 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 asanas or poses that allow opening through where we hold a lot of our tension which is in our hips and our shoulders um gotcha. essentially so most yin a yin practice is focused on um, the upper area here, the neck, the shoulders, and then down in the hips where we store a lot of tension just based on, um, well, a lot of different things. That's a whole nother conversation, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that would be, um, so that's what the difference is. So a vinyasa class is the movement class with breath and then restorative is like down on the ground with bolsters and support and calming and meditation and yoga nidra and all types of things so gotcha so i'm hearing that you can get out of yoga things that you might be turning to alcohol for correct um you know one of the questions i really like you know when i'm coaching someone especially early on um we always get this question of like how do i deal with a trigger how do i deal with a craving yeah. right so one of the things that i explain is that over a long time of drinking without going into too much detail we we kind of disconnect and and lose the ability to really identify and meet our own needs because alcohol just becomes the answer right sad drink happy drink and so over time we kind of lose that resolution so one of the things that i always encourage people to do early on even if they're still in the pause, right? Even if they're still drinking is to start getting in touch with what is it that I need right now? Mm -hmm. um, and that's literally the tactic, right? You feel a craving come up and you say, what do I need right now? And, you know, if it's been a while since you've been focused on that, maybe you have no idea. Um, <laughs> but the more you ask yourself that question and open up uh, to, to what it is that, that you might need, the more your... Um, the more in tune you get with it and the better you're able to handle those cravings without alcohol. Right. So this sounds like exactly that, right? Like you can ask yourself, what do I need right now? And if it is, I need to chill out. <laughs> or if it's that, you know, I need some adventure, I'm bored. It sounds like yoga has answers for, for both of those. Yeah, absolutely. And, and not only that, but the practicing any type of yoga, um, is, I mean, typically it's a practice of awareness, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're talking about. Um, I mean, there's other ways to exercise and we always, you know, we suggest as people are struggling with their cravings to become aware. Yeah. And so the more that they practice other things that they become aware of, like we also talk about, I know, you know, other tactics of just going outside and connecting with nature, you know, becoming more familiar with your surroundings or let alone your five senses. 
Um, but yeah, definitely that focus mind, calm heart is, uh, is there in the practice for sure. Awesome. All right. Question number two. Uh, here we go. Stress is my number one sobriety killer. I feel like my brain is constantly running and I'm unable to stay alcohol free for more than two days. Help. What can I do to quiet the monster in my mind? I feel like you might've just answered this in what you just said, but I'd love, I'd love to hear more, Pam. Yeah. Well, and, and we can tap into that too. So yeah. Um, shoot. Well, we know it always helps me sort of like to go into the science loops. We know the, the brain is never going to stop thinking. Yes. Um, it's just like the heart. It's never going to stop beating. However, we can become more aware of the thoughts and slow them down and dissect them. And I think that that just comes with patience and learning what it's like to turn inward. Um, And so that would be a space that I would definitely suggest more of a yin class, um, but also breath work. Um, Because the breath allows you, when you're concentrating with breath work, you're only focused on the sensation and the sound of the breath and the movement of the breath, all of a sudden it's like, wait, where'd the thoughts go? Yes. Um, and so, and very much happens on the mat too. I mean, when you're in a pose, you're focusing like, where's my foot in the right place? Where's my arm? And so you kind of lose your train of thought as well. So yeah, I think they're all supported. The supportive so, of, of what that person needs. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like, you know, the idea of finding something that just helps you relax, right, is one way to do it. Like, and yoga, again, is something that comes up all the time when we do something like a live alcohol experiment. That's what I hear about. You know, people talk all the time about going to, if they regularly go to yoga, like going to more yoga classes or different classes. Um, But even along that, that same line of awareness, um, one of the things that I see a lot of, and that that certainly helped me on my journey um, was expressing, right? Mm-hmm. Was was accepting like, hey, I've got these million thoughts going around in my brain right now. Um, my phone, I mean, God help me if I ever lose it and someone gets a hold of it, but my phone is full, full, full of years of voice messages from me that are just like stream of consciousness. You know, so I recognize that I'm stressed. I recognize that I'm angry. I recognize whatever it is, right? And my brain is running and I can't seem to disengage from it, just expressing it, right? Just going through the process of talking about it um, to no one in particular. Like, I hope, I truly hope no one listens to these messages, but like, (laughs) um, you know, it just, there's something about that process where you're, you're accepting what's going on and you're working through it. If that makes sense. I don't necessarily solve anything, but just the, just the act, I think of becoming aware of it and expressing it, Mm -hmm. it it helps me move through it, you know? And I feel and correct me if I'm wrong, but like, I feel like there's a connection to yoga then, like this idea of like, all right, I'm experiencing this, this is what's happening. And then even that phrase, like move through it, you know, um, I feel like there's an element of that involved. There absolutely is. And when we're talking about that expression, what you're talking about is releasing energy. Yes. And so if everything is energy, nothing is neutral, 
what we bring in can lower or raise our vibration. That means if you're feeling anxious or whatever, how are you going to release that anxiety or those thoughts? Sometimes it's through vocal. Sometimes it's through physical. Um, and sometimes it's emotional, right? And so allowing yourself to feel that release. And so it's very connected to yoga because um, what we've learned over time has been documented is it's called um, what a lot of the work um, from trauma, which a lot of people who drink have experienced, but that yes. um, we hold information and experiences in our tissues. Mm -hmm. And so the more that we are able to release those stale stuck energies, um, the more freer, the more open, the more positive we become. So it's absolutely, and you're specifically also talking about the vocalization, which, you know, yeah. I would, I would say it's, you know, if we're talking about chakra energies, it would be, you know, heart openers or, you know, doing poses that allow you to create space across the throat so that you will be inspired to do whatever it is that you need to do verbally or <laughs> 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 down, right. To let yeah. out, to let out that energy. So, yeah. Yeah, I like that. And I feel like it all comes back to, you know, and I kind of hear a little bit about this in the question, like, what do I do to quiet the monster in my mind? Like, I just, I want to emphasize so much. And every time I get a question like this, it's okay. And you're not alone, right? Everybody feels like this. Um, you know, our minds race that that's what they do, you know? Um, and so I guess just not feeling bad and coming to a place of acceptance of, of like, okay, this is happening. Yeah. Um, but then taking active steps mm -hmm. to deal with it, you know, whatever that happens to be is, is so important. You know, I just, I see so many people end up beating themselves up because of questions like this. And, you know, it's things like yoga that give them, give them something to try. Um, and hopefully it works, you know, and uh, if it doesn't, there's so many other things, but just recognizing that, hey, this is what's happening right now, right? It's that awareness of this is what I'm going through. And then saying, I'm going to try this, or I'm going to try that. And finding those things can make such a difference. Yeah, um, I agree. I totally agree. The other thing too, that I think that's important to for people to have grace and compassion with, I think is a lot of time like, oh, I'm angry. I'll sit and meditate. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to fix this. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's sort of like, even historically, if you can explain it, like asana was created. So movement, body, movement of the body in various poses was created so that people could sit for long periods of time. And you don't sit until hmm. you move. Interesting. Yeah. So if you look at that sort of historically, so I know I've, I've, I've noticed too, even um, like in the alcohol experiment or the path, you like, I tried to meditate. I was having a craving and I just couldn't get my mind to stop. And I was like, well, that's part of the problem. It's like, you got to move your body first. <laughs> you got to release the, you know, release the, releasing the energy is a helpful thing to do first. So however, whatever movement exercise is comfortable for you, it doesn't have to be yoga. It could be walking. It could be, you know, getting your heart rate up, then sit and go in. That's so yeah. I mean, I have been meditating for almost consistently, not quite for about 20 years. That's and, um, I notice so like it, I can notice when I'm in the, like an active phase or a non-active phase. Mm -hmm. Like, so I live in Maine, it gets really cold here and I don't like the cold or snow. So for the next <laughs> 
uh, you know, for any time that is winter, I don't go outside as much. And so I don't end up being as active and I can notice a real difference in my meditation practice, you know, in, in very specifically in terms of like how long it takes me to kind of get into the, the meditative state, you know, it just, it feels very different. Now being aware of that, uh, it makes it a lot better and not beating myself up makes it a lot better, but I totally get that connection between movement and meditation. And, you know, I think that this whole idea of like, I want to do something to make this go away. Mm, I think what yeah. we're getting to is like the way of making things go away is to embrace it. Right. The way out is through and whatever that passage is, right. Whatever that happens to look like for you personally, um, there's so many options. And again, yoga is yoga is a big one. I hear a lot about, I really, someday Pam, you're going to have to teach me yoga. <laughs> I would love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get to uh, question number three. Um, here it is. There is no shortage of advice on how to move through the first few months of living alcohol free. A simple Google search turned up an endless list of suggestions. I am curious, what were three or four things that made the difference for you in those first couple of months? That's my question. That's your question. I'll let you um, go first. It was okay. to us, but I, I love oh, I see. ideas. Um, that made all the difference, the first three or four things. Writing. Morning pages mm. were huge for me. So journaling first thing in the morning, um, staying committed to my meditation practice in the morning. The evening routine needed was, was more for me um, active. Like I needed, it was really helpful for me because um, the coming home and having a glass of wine while I was cooking was sort of, you know, my bewitching hour. And so yeah. I just kind of changed up um, the focus on a quote unquote important meal. Like I took the focus of the evening um, from the glass of wine and the meal to time spent with my husband. I like that. So I just kind of shifted that. And so it was sort of like, oh, we're just gonna grab a sandwich and go and go for a hike, that type of thing. So I just created new a new routine in that toughest time um, period for me um, that seemed to be, you know, even when I had chunks of time, alcohol-free was always seemed to be where I went back. Yeah. I was never really a day drinker. So it was always that bewitching hour for me was right around dinner time. That's that that would be for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. There are so many cues, just whether it's time-based cues or environment-based cues. I love the idea of changing up routines. Plus it's fun. Yeah. Um, you know, like I, I personally have a, a pretty high need for variety. Um, you know, for me, like changing things up, that's, that's, uh, that's comforting. I really enjoy it. So I get where you're coming from. Um, you know, one of the big ones for me was connection um, mm. with all types of people. I mean, I, you know, there were, there were, I had a small group of people that I, you know, told what was happening. Um, and by small group of people, I mean two um, that I knew I could call and I knew I could talk to. Um, and, you know, one of those people was a friend of mine who'd gone through it. So he knew what was up you know, and that was, that was so 
awesome for me to just to have someone I was connected to that I could either say like, did you ever feel like this? Or just be like, I feel this way. And, and he could say, I know exactly what you mean. Um, that was amazing. Just to make it feel like there's an element of this process, I think, that can make us feel like we're alone. Yeah. Um, and so being able to connect that way um, was so valuable for me. And then the other person that I connected with was my wife. And I love my wife. She has no idea what I went through. Um, and that can be a blessing and a curse. You know, in one, on one hand, it's hard. I can't say like I can to my friend, like, um, oh, you know, when this happens, that sucks, right? Like she doesn't, it's just not part of her experience. However, she's supportive no matter what. And, you know, being reminded of that, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and having her to talk to, even if, you know, even if not everything I say fully, you know, is totally fully understood from an experience standpoint, just having someone like that to listen was massive for me. So, I mean, surprise, surprise, the thing I did to deal with it was talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that, and, and you know, I see, I, one of the reasons I'm saying this is I do see people kind of close in on themselves a little bit. Um, and, you know, there's lots of reasons some people feel shame or embarrassment or whatever it might be, um, but communication is big. Um, and then the second one, I'll throw two out there for me, uh, was movement. Um, so when I started, uh, when I when I quit drinking, I had just gotten into this uh, thing called Go Ruck, which is essentially you just put weight on your back and go for a long walk. Um, <laughs> and so I would, you know, when I first quit drinking, I would strap 30 pounds to my back every morning and go walk for miles. And it was invigorating. It was challenging. Um, I signed myself up for, there's like go ruck events. So I signed myself up for an event. So I had something I was working toward. Um, but I very quickly came to look forward to that like daily sort of movement, that daily sort of, you know, walking and uh, just being out of the, being out of the house. Um, I would say those two things made all the difference for me. Yeah. What's interesting because they're both what we're talking about is positive reinforcement. Yes. Yeah. You know, that creating those positive emotions about this new way of living. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. And I think that, you know, any change, any change requires that positive emotion, but a big change like this, especially one that, you know, when people have been struggling for a while, when it's taken a while to get to this point, um, creating those positive emotions mean you can just enjoy it even more, right? After a long journey. Yeah. Okay, we are down to the last question. We are down to the curveball question. Uh -oh. I have not prepared you for this. Um, all right, so here it is. Uh, what office supply would you be and why? Oh my God, I, it's so easy, but so funny. I would be a 1950s stapler. Whoa, that is specific. Talk to me, why? <laughs> because they're so cool. I have five of them. Because I love, because I love 1950s, I, any type of like, uh, so yeah, anywhere between 1940, 1950s um, stapler before they started using plastic. Um, the old metal staplers, the small ones, the big ones. I just think they're so cool objects. I love that. Um, I, I learned... love the weight of them. I love everything about a stapler. 
<laughs> so I learned that. something new about you today. That is awesome. <laughs> that is so cool. Um, well, Pamela, thank you so much. Uh, this was great. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks. Um, so uh, if people want to find out more about you and what you do, where can they go? They can go to truebluesoul.com. So it's three words, truebluesoul.com. And that's my website um, for coaching as well as yoga and meditation and well, all things Pam. <laughs> all things Pam. I love it. Um, so thanks, Pam. And thank you to uh, who are listening out there. We really appreciate it. Um, I will be back uh, next time with another set of coaching questions. And until then, take care. Bye, everybody. Have you tried the alcohol experiment? Okay, if not, drop everything and go to alcoholexperiment.com. This is a free 30-day challenge and it's designed to interrupt your patterns and put you back in touch with that best version of you. You remember, it was that version of you that's living your most joyful life, that version that didn't need alcohol to relax or have a good time, the one that's able to have more fun than ever. Again, this is a totally free challenge and it can change everything for you. So learn more and join me for a 100% free challenge at alcohol alcoholexperiment.com. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps me reach somebody who might need to hear this message today.